Today is from Matthew chapter 27, verse 57, to chapter 28, verse 10. Listen now to the word of the Lord. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who, was, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is, the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now after the Sabbath, toward the Toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. The word of the Lord. Happy Easter. Good morning. Happy Easter. Good morning. Um, before I begin, uh, I want to alert you that the children will be having a uh, Easter egg hunt uh, a little bit later, and uh, we're going to be taking some pictures of the kids. So uh, if any of parents uh, would are not comfortable with your children's photographs being taken, uh, please let Pastor Dovey know and make sure that we don't take their pictures, okay? Uh, but otherwise, we just want to, uh, we'll dismiss the kids a little bit later to go in and participate in that. Um, also, before I begin, I want to just um, thank the people who are involved with the Good Friday service, as well as the Easter dawn service. I know that those of you who attended uh, were just so appreciative of uh, what went on. Um, the people that put those two services together did such an incredible job. And I know um, I was especially heartened to hear about how the children uh, got so much uh, and were so blessed uh, by their experience of the Good Friday service. And, uh, and this morning at the Easter dawn service, uh, it was such a moving uh, testimonial service. And so I want to thank everyone uh, that was involved with that. And if you missed it, um, I'm sorry you missed it. <laughs> Um, but I uh, hope you come next year. Um, all right, let's, let's pray together. God, we thank you uh, for this day that you have made. And God, um, especially today, 
my words feel so meager and inadequate to declare the greatness of what you have done. And so, God, would your spirit do an extra work today that we may have some sense of your power, of your goodness, and so share in the joy of the resurrection. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. The Gospel of Matthew, like the other Gospels, tell us that the women were there first, that first Easter morning, that there was a stone that was rolled away, and that there was an empty tomb. But Matthew tells us much more. Now, most of you know that my wife and I have different, sometimes vastly different tastes when it comes to just about everything. (laughs) Musically, she prefers classical music with the occasional burst into heavy metal rock, though she will not admit it, while I prefer the blues. She likes spicy foods, and I like, let's say I prefer mild foods. As for movies, she likes straight narratives with happy, tearful endings. I prefer ambiguity in storytelling, and as she puts it, where everybody dies. (laughs) Though, again, I would disagree about that. I've mentioned to you before that one of my favorite movies, perhaps even my favorite movie of all time, is the Italian film Cinema Paradiso. Now, one of the interesting things about this movie is that there are actually three different versions of the film. It was first released in Italy as a a two-and-a-half-hour movie, and it completely bombed. Nobody saw it. It was then edited into a shorter two-hour movie where it became an international sensation and even won the Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film in 1989. Then in 2002 a director's cut version was made that was almost three hours long. Now, I had only seen the short two-hour version, and so when I heard that there was this three-hour version, I was very excited to see it with my wife. And I didn't like it very much. In fact, I wish they had never made it and that I had never seen it. I won't spoil the story for you, But the reason the shorter version was so much better for me was that it leaves the central question of the movie unanswered. We're given hints and suggestions about what happened, just enough to wonder and maybe just enough to reach a conclusion. But in the longer version, the director decided to explain everything in blunt detail and in doing so, took out all the mystery and, in fact, changed the entire tone and even the meaning of the film. My wife loved the longer version. (laughs) It gave her a clear storyline of what happened and a rational explanation and motivation for all of the characters. There was no ambiguity. There was no mystery. And it left her completely satisfied. For those of you who have ever wondered about the difference between P's and J's and the Myers-Briggs temperament types, there you go. Now, in preparing today's message, I realized that over the years, I have favored the other Gospels 
and the text from 1 Corinthians for the Easter messages and have either unconsciously or subconsciously avoided the reading from today in Matthew. And the main reason for this, I think, is that I like a little mystery and ambiguity when it comes to storytelling, especially on matters of faith. But Matthew is not subtle. So if you like straight answers and explanations, then Matthew is the gospel for you. All of the gospels tell us something happened that first Easter morning. We need not worry that the gospels are not in agreement about all the details. In fact, the differences ought to give us greater confidence. It means that they were not in collusion, and we know how bad that is. They did not try out try to smooth out the differences, and that what we have are eyewitness testimonies of what happened that day. Something dramatic happened. Something beyond explanation and experience. Something so momentous that it revolutionized the lives, their ways of living, and the entire course of history up to today. The four gospel writers, I think, are like four editors crafting their story to highlight their particular perspective, and it seems to me that Matthew's edit is more like that longer director's cut, with clear explanations and with scenes not found in the other gospels, and he makes plain what the other gospel writers only imply or suggest. For example... Matthew tells us about the fear of the chief priests and the Pharisees that the disciples might steal the body of Jesus and fool everyone into thinking that Jesus had risen from the dead. They said to Pilate, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, After three days, I will rise. The irony of this statement is that the disciples did not remember that Jesus had said this. None of them remember that Jesus had told them this. None of them stuck around when Jesus was crucified. They scattered in fear before he was buried. No one, no one before the resurrection thought that the resurrection would happen. And yet here are the enemies of Christ recalling what he had prophesied. Even the women Even though they stayed around, it wasn't because they expected the resurrection. Not one of Jesus' followers remembered his words or expected the resurrection. And Pilate knows that Jesus is dead. In the other Gospels, we're told that he consulted with the centurion to make sure that Jesus was dead. And so Pilate, I think, just goes along with some bemusement. Yeah, sure, go ahead. Make it as secure as you can. Knock yourself out. And so they did. They made it as secure as they could. They sealed the tomb. They placed guards. And when Matthew was editing his gospel, the idea of the resurrection was just as hard to believe then as it is today. And skeptics were as numerous then as today, and they floated different ideas as to what might have really happened because the resurrection was just beyond belief. And these same ideas that were posed then continue to be floated around today as theories, supposed theories of the resurrection. For example, people say, well, maybe Jesus didn't really die. He was just badly injured. 
And so after they put him in the tomb, he walked out. And we say, no, the centurion confirmed that he really died, and we have multiple witnesses that he was really dead and buried. Well, maybe the women went to the wrong tomb. You know, there's lots of different tombs. No, you know, they were there when they put Jesus in that particular tomb. They kept vigil. They went home. They came back the next day. They saw where the soldiers put the seal on it. They came back the next day. Well, maybe there were other bodies in the tomb and, you know, the empty space where they thought Jesus was was not the space where they had actually put him in. So maybe they were just mistaken about that. No, this was a new tomb. There was no other body. There could be no mistake about a bo- you know, body being changed. Maybe the disciples stole the body and pretended. Now, that seems to be the most popular rumor during Matthew's day. But even without Matthew's testimony, it's impossible to believe that a group of disciples who were terrified and scattered when Jesus was merely arrested, who didn't even have the decency to stick around for the burial, who apparently had no recollection of the resurrection or expectation of the resurrection, would somehow, just a few hours later, all of a sudden have the boldness not only to steal the body in plain sight, not only to lie that Jesus had resurrected, but then have the will and the courage to later die for that false belief. Why would anyone do that? Would they really lie about Jesus' resurrection, considering that Jesus taught them, do not lie? And for what? What would they gain with this deception? It makes no sense. Charles Colson, who worked for President Nixon, uh, was one of the uh, men convicted during the Watergate scandal uh, back in the early 70s, and he went to prison for his role in it. But in prison, he became a Christian. And he writes that it was the cover-up or the attempted cover-up of the Watergate scandal that persuaded him that Jesus was raised from the dead. He says this, There were only eight or ten of us in the inner circle around the president who really knew what was going on. All we had to do was stonewall for a couple of months and the Watergate scandal would be over. There was no grave danger. Our lives were not threatened. But we could not keep the conspiracy together for more than two weeks. We could not contain the lie. Once prosecution was possible, the natural instinct of self-preservation was so overwhelming that the conspirators, one by one, deserted their leaders. I know that the disciples could not perpetuate a lie like the resurrection because it was not just their reputation that was at stake, their lives were in danger. They had nothing to gain by the lie, and yet every one of them stood fast in the conviction that Jesus is alive. Take it from one who saw firsthand how vulnerable a cover-up is. But for those who are still uncertain of the rumors, Matthew provides additional information to show that it could not have happened as was being falsely spoken. In the other Gospels, the stone has already been moved by the time the women come in the morning to view the body. So it's possible to think in the other Gospels, that maybe someone moved a stone earlier and moved the body. 
Again, it makes no sense that the disciples would do that, but at least theoretically that's possible. But Matthew tells us that when the women came, the stone was still sealed and the stone had not yet been moved. They, along with the guards, witnessed the angel coming down and rolling the stone away. And this is the point that Matthew is making. When the stone was rolled back, Jesus did not walk out. He was not there. He had already been raised. The stone was not moved to let Jesus out. We know that Jesus can walk through closed doors in the other Gospels. He doesn't need to move the stone. The stone was rolled back, not so that Jesus could get out, but so that the first witnesses could come in and see that the body of Jesus was no longer there. All they could see was an empty tomb. People only saw where they had once buried the body. That body somehow was no longer there. And an angel told them that Jesus has been raised. You know, during this uh, season of Lent, we have been considering the images of stones in the Bible for our time after service. And so I thought it appropriate today to end with one more stone, the stone that was rolled back. All of the Gospels tell us that the stone had been moved, that is, it had been moved by God. But Matthew tells us explicitly that it was an angel that did it and moved it, and not only moved it, but then sat on it. For Matthew, this is a cosmic event, and this is his explanation of what happened. And here's the angelic message from the angel sitting on the stone. First, he says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. There was cosmic disruption when Jesus was born, when Jesus dies, and now at the resurrection. In the first chapter in the Gospel of Matthew, there was an angel who told Joseph, do not be afraid at the news that his fiancée was pregnant. Now an angel, perhaps the same angel, rolls the stone back, sits on it as if to say, death is no big deal. God has raised Jesus from the dead. Death has no hold on Jesus. Do not be afraid as you begin your life, however you come into this world, and do not be afraid as you come to the end of your story. Do not be afraid. The women are told not to be afraid, but of course, they can't help it. How could anyone not be afraid after experiencing an earthquake and meeting an angel and being told that Jesus has been raised? But notice what it says. They went now with fear, but also with great joy. The fear was still there, but it was now mixed with a greater joy. You know, I don't know if you've told your children um, at times to not be afraid. Maybe they're afraid of the dark or they're afraid of, you know, monsters under the bed or things like that. And you tell them, don't be afraid. And when you tell them, don't be afraid, do they believe you? No. Thank you, Logan. So sometimes they don't believe you. Why is that? Why, why is it that they don't believe you? Is it that they don't trust you? Or that they think that what they're afraid of is stronger or bigger than you? 
but sometimes maybe they can come to have some trust. Maybe you can help to lessen their fear if you are with them and they come to know that you are, in fact, strong enough so that their courage now can be mixed with some of their fear. As adults, when a doctor tells you, don't be afraid of the medical procedure you're about to get, do you stop being afraid? No. But if you trust the doctor and you know that this doctor is good at what he's doing, then your fears are kept in check and overcome by a greater peace. I know that many of you, probably all of you, have some fear going on in your life right now. Maybe it's about your kids. Maybe it's about your health. Maybe your aging parents. Maybe you're going through financial difficulties. Maybe all of the above. And I'm telling you, do not be afraid. Whatever you are afraid of, you need not fear it. Your sins are forgiven. God will strengthen you. You have eternal life. It may not mean much because it's coming from me and you don't trust me very much or you don't think I'm strong enough or I'm going to make any difference in your fears. But I'm telling you that I'm just repeating God's words. This is not me. This is God telling you, do not be afraid. And that, I hope, means something. And the more you know God, the more you trust God, the more those words will mean to you, the more it will strengthen you because you know that God is strong enough. It doesn't mean that your fears will disappear, but you can also discover strength and courage and joy to go along with it. So whatever fears you brought here today, that's okay. But I hope you can take some of the joy and over time that the joy will become the greater part of the fear that you have. Secondly, the angel says, come see where he lay. For Matthew, the resurrection of Jesus ultimately cannot be explained or rationalized or proven. It defies human understanding and power. The presence of the angel recalls prophetic and apocalyptic images from the Old Testament regarding the victory of God. It is a reminder to us that this resurrection is the decisive act of God apart from human invention. It is a supernatural vindication of Jesus and the victory of God. The stone was rolled away so they could see the evidence of the resurrection in the same way that the stone was removed so that the people could see. God can move the stones in your life that keep you from experiencing the resurrected life. I know that none of us are carrying around giant tombstones, but we all have these kinds of metaphorical stones in our lives that keep us from seeing evidence of the resurrection, of experiencing the joy of God. We have stones that we trip over and stumble. We all sometimes find ourselves between a rock and a hard place. And God invites us to come and see, to experience for ourselves God's resurrection power. It doesn't mean that all our fears will be alleviated or that our questions will all be answered, but it does mean that you can come and see 
and to experience what the Lord might do for you. God has opened the door and made possible for us to enter and invites us to come and see. Um, you know, many of you probably had the experience of um, doing something and you walk into a room to do it and you forget why you walked into that room. Anybody? Yeah. I did that just about an hour ago. I walked in here to get my sermon and I couldn't remember where I'd put it and I couldn't remember why I was in this room. Um, right? You, you think about getting a snack and you walk into the kitchen and you forget why you came into the kitchen. Right? Or how about walking out of the house to throw out the garbage and forgetting why you came outside and you go back in? That's just me. Um, well, you know, I used to think and still think that, well, I'm just getting older, my memory's not as good, I'm getting forgetful. But several years ago, a study came out of Notre Dame that made me feel a little bit better. It's not just that I'm getting forgetful, although I'm sure that's a big part of it. But according to researchers, the very act of walking through a doorway acts as an event boundary that forces our memories to update. In other words, whenever we walk through a doorway, for whatever reason that is, when you walk through a doorway, our brains wipes away a file so that we have a clean slate so that whatever new experiences we have as we enter that room can now be placed into that clean slate. That's why you forget because the brain is making room for the new experiences you are about to have when you walk through that doorway. I don't know. I found that really interesting. Um, I love the idea of getting a clean slate whenever you walk through a door. Wouldn't that be great? Maybe you have an argument with someone and you walk in and you forget all about it. You start fresh. You walk in through these doors and all your sins are forgiven. Maybe each time we walk through the doors of this church, you can come clean and forget all the things that you have to do and simply open your eyes to the new encounters that you might have with God. Maybe at least today, we can cross the event boundary of our daily lives and come and see and enter into the resurrection life that is possible in God's grace. Jesus' resurrection is this great event boundary that makes that possible. Thirdly, tell his disciples that he has been raised. The Easter message given by the angel is that Jesus has been raised. In Greek, it's just one word. He has been raised. He has been raised from death by God. And that too is our promise. And testifying to that news that Jesus has been raised, that continues to remain our task. Go tell his disciples that he has been raised. Tell those disciples who completely failed. Tell those disciples who are such cowards that they ran away. He has been raised. Maybe you came today and you haven't been here in a long time. He has been raised. He has been raised. It doesn't matter. He has been raised. Tell his disciples. I think for Matthew, this resurrection is a sign of great hope. If Jesus, who was the best who ever lived this 
human life, who lived in total obedience to God, could not ultimately avoid death, then you and I have no hope of ever living well enough to avoid death. We cannot overcome death by our powers, by our goodness. Death can only be overcome by the power of God. And God did. And Jesus makes the promise of the resurrection to all who believe in his name. That is our hope, our only hope. Paul told the Thessalonians, We do not want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. That is our hope. That is our hope. In many Eastern Orthodox churches today, a sermon written in the 4th century by John Chrysostom is read during their services. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole sermon. You already got one sermon. Um, But I just want to read a small snippet of it. He writes, Let us all enter into the joy of the Lord. First and last alike, receive your reward. Rich and poor, rejoice together. Sober and slothful, celebrate the day. You that have kept the fast and you that have not, rejoice today for the table is richly laden. Feast royally on it. The calf is a fatted one. Let no one go away hungry. Partake all of the cup of faith. Enjoy all the riches of his goodness. Let no one grieve at his poverty, for the universal kingdom has been revealed. Let no one mourn that he has fallen again and again, for forgiveness has risen from the grave. Let no one fear death, for the death of our Savior has set us free. He has destroyed it by enduring it. He has destroyed it by enduring it. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. God, we uh, are so thankful for this day where we especially remember your resurrection that makes sense of life, that gives us the hope that there is more to life and that death is not the end, but merely a new beginning, a new beginning, a new life. And so God, we come to you today with all of our fears, with all of our sins, with all of our failures, with all of our unfaithfulness, and we lay them before you and know, and we know that they have been nailed to the cross and that in you the promise is of life. Help us to believe, to receive with joy the good news you have for us. And to tell those around us that Jesus has been raised. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. On behalf of session, it is my great pleasure to present Mackenzie Lakin for baptism. Hear now the words of Jesus. All authority in heaven and